0: Father, we are thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for Your Spirit. Jesus, we remember the words that we heard a couple of Wednesdays ago. It's better that You go away. You told Your disciples because if You don't go away, You couldn't have sent the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And we thank You for, oddly enough, Jesus, we thank You for going away and sending Your Spirit that we might learn and know from within us who You are and what Your Word has to say to us. So we trust Your Spirit and ask You, Holy Spirit, to teach us this morning. And if there be anybody that doesn't know You, Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak life and draw them to repentance and faith in the finished work of Jesus. As we look at this Word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <laughs> we, we kind of left on a cliffhanger last week, right? Melchizedek dot, 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 you know, next week on Providence Bible Church. That's kind of where we left it. And what happens starting today uh, here in verse 11 of chapter 5. I'm on the wrong place here. There we go. Um, We've got kind of an interlude. And this interlude, this parenthesis-ish kind of thing, is going to last all the way through chapter 6 where the writer then will pick up back with the Melchizedek thought that he just made in 5.10, which we looked at last week. It's like he got to the Melchizedek thing and was like, eh, maybe I should back off a little bit. Maybe I should just chill. I'll just have to put that on the skeddy for later. Yeah. And he will get back to that in the very last verse of chapter 6 and then spend some time explaining the Melchizedek thing and how Jesus being an eternal high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, he'll get back to that last verse of chapter 6 and then into chapter 7. But for the last four verses of chapter 5 and 19 of the 20 verses in chapter 6, he's going to go back to basics, so to speak, and we'll kind of hit that in a second. Because he seems to be reluctant to have to do that. That's kind of the tone that we see here in verse 11. Um, So we had just seen Jesus as the Son of God, as our great high priest, and that priesthood is eternal like what we see in Melchizedek's priesthood. And straight out of that, the writer says, man, I'd like to preach a whole sermon on that. That's kind of what he's saying here. About this we have much to say, he says. And he says it's hard to explain. So I'm like, okay, man, lay it on me, right? Give me a few chapters about it. Well, I can't, he says, because it's not hard to explain because it's hard to explain. We have much to say about this, and the reason it's hard to explain is, since you have become dull of hearing. Oh, okay then. And that statement, since you have become dull of hearing, sets the tone for the rest of our passage today, everything that we'll look at through the end of uh, chapter 6, verse 3. And this is an exhortation to these readers and to us to evaluate not the effectiveness of the Scriptures. That's settled. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We looked back in chapter 4. We know the effectiveness of the Scriptures, but we have to evaluate our maturity in knowing, understanding, teaching, and putting into practice what we find in the Scriptures. And the sense of it all, S-I-N-C-E, the sense of it all, the reason for this elbow to the ribs here is that the writer says the recipients have become dull of hearing. Now, I'm going to reference something that I haven't referenced in a little while, but I've referenced a few times in our journey through Hebrews, going all the way back to the introduction. It is very important that we understand the context, who he's writing to, who is writing and the culture that they live in. Anybody remember the, the kind of culture they live in? This again, this goes back a long ways. An honor shame culture. Okay? So I want to re refer to a part of a quote from Michael Gorman that I used in the introduction to the Hebrews to help frame this passage a little better. Remember this. This is about what it means to live in an honor slash shame culture. Here's the quote from Michael Gorman. The only esteem one has in an honor and shame culture is bestowed not by the self, but by the group. In this environment, peer pressure is not negative, nor is it something to avoid. But peer pressure is viewed as appropriate and welcome in an honor and shame culture. End of quote. See, we see this strong wording here in our culture today, and we kind of feel ashamed of ourselves. It's kind of like if he's saying this to me, I'm bad. I'm wrong. Right? I should try harder to do better. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing good enough. That's why he's mad at me. And that's not the tone that's going on here. It's incredibly important that we understand that. In the culture of the letter, listen... To reiterate what was said in that quote from Michael Gorman, in the culture of the letter, it was welcome and encouraged to push the individuals for the sake of the honor of the group. Please get a hold of that. Okay? Because I'm sure, I know I have read this passage before and go, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm dull of hearing. I'm bad. I'm wrong. And that's not the tone here. Now, I'm not saying that the writer isn't speaking plainly or that he isn't trying to urge them on strongly. He is. But that would not have been received as a problem for the individuals that were reading this letter. They wanted what was best for the group. Sorry. For all of them. And so this exhortation that the writer is given would have been heard in light of that. Again, get out of the American mentality of self-esteem and peer pressure that makes us feel bad or wrong. That is not what's going on here. And that's hard for us because we've become dull of hearing because of the influence of our culture. And what we've been raised in, we've got to put ourselves in the culture of the time if we're going to adequately understand the Scriptures. It's incredibly important. And I'm beating on that because this is a tough passage. He is not pulling any punches, and that's good. So what he's saying basically is this whole group needs to clean the wax out of their ears, right? Anybody ever had the ears cleaned out with the big plunger thing? I don't recommend it. <laughs> Highly effective. I, I, okay, I'll, I'll stop. Give me a minute, okay? had a doctor one time who had like zero bedside manner i won't get into that too much but he said oh your ears are we need to clean them out okay he said i don't have any hot water he said so this is going to be cold so he takes this plunger thing and he jams it and he holds the other side of my head with one hand and he puts that plunger thing in there and he pushes that cold water and he did it on both sides we need to clean our ears out. But not that way, okay? I don't want it to be that kind of an experience for you. They have become dull of hearing. They need to clean their ears out. And it's something that's happened over a period of time. They could hear before. They had heard before. But now they are dull of hearing. Are we? Now that word dull, dull, that's funny as dull. It's starting to sound like not a word, right? Dull. Um can be translated as dull, slothful, slow, sluggish, my personal favorite, indolent, or languid. I don't even know what languid means, honestly. But that's what that word dull means. Slow to learn, slow to understand, slow to react or respond. Lacking intellectual acuity. And this gives me the impression that they've kind of kicked spiritual truth to the back burner so to speak. Other things have become more important. What was received with excitement and passion has now been relegated to something that they get around to every now and then when they feel like it. Now, don't I'm not kicking you, alright? I'm exhorting you. He's exhorting us. They get around to it when they feel like it, if they feel like it. It also has the feel of Jesus' warning to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2.4. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. It's fading away. It's a drifting. And do you remember when the writer said back in chapter 2, I think it was, that we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Why? So that we don't drift away from it. It's obviously a theme that these folks need to hear and that we folks need to hear. The writer is calling them to keep a constant watch on their hearing, to pay close attention to what they have heard, what they have been taught. And here's the key that I think, if I could boil all this down to something simple, make it important. Have you ever had somebody just tell you they just forgot to do something? Why'd you forget? I I don't know. And the retort is because it wasn't important to you. No, it was. Make it important. Keep it important. Constantly and consistently. They had become slow, sluggish, dull in their attention and affection for the things of God. The teaching that had once invigorated them had kind of been collecting dust on a shelf. Back in the days when we used, like, real Bibles, like, it was embarrassing to, like, leave your Bible at church because you left it there and, like, you didn't see it again until the next week. Everybody's like, you haven't been reading your Bible. You left your Bible here all week. Oh, yeah, I did. No, I've, been, I've got another Bible at home, which we probably do. We've probably got 20 at home, right? The back, back, window. The back window of the car, yeah. And you, it's got a little dust around it when they pick it up, right? <laughs> they were more engrossed in their social media apps than their Bibles I mean no that's, that's us that's not them right we would be embarrassed wouldn't we I hope we would be if we totaled the time of our social media apps compared to our Bible or our Bible apps I would be all being said The life-giving truths of the gospel just weren't a priority to them anymore. They knew them. They believed them. They would probably even say amen to them. But their hearing, their taking these truths in and processing them so that they worked themselves out in their everyday lives, that had pretty much faded or vanished completely. Slow, sluggish, indolent. Dull, blah, eh, whatever. And so the writer has to pause and not talk about Melchizedek for a whole chapter. Thanks a lot, Hebrews. We'll get there, though. He says, I can't say what I think I need to say here. Let me pause a second. And that's what he's done. So in the first part of chapter, uh, verse 12, he says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So they had become dull of hearing. And as a further evidence of that, the writer says, Four. You want more proof that you're dull of hearing? Well, for instance, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's saying basically, you've been around long enough, you've heard enough, you know enough to be teaching. Now, there are different camps when you get into the book of Hebrews about who he's writing to. Was it a select group of people? Was it just the leaders? Was it the whole church? Is it the three different groups of people? Is it and, and some people say that this shows, this statement here shows that he wasn't speaking to everyone because not everybody's supposed to become teachers, right? That's what James says. Let not many of you become teachers knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. So people are like, he's just speaking to the leaders here. And I say horse feathers, Okay, I don't see that in the tone or flow of the letter. It ain't like he's pulling some people aside in the letter and saying, oh, by the way, the letter is for everybody that he's writing to, to believers who are struggling in the midst of suffering and uncertainty. And I'm pretty sure, I uh, know, I am sure, that we can make a strong case from the entirety of Scripture that we all, every single one of us as believers, learn truth And we are all to teach others in one capacity or another. Go all the way back to the law, right? Let it be on your lips and you teach it to your children and your children's children. And and that's up to everybody. Now, he's not saying here that all of the readers should have become elders or overseers. But he's talking to all of his readers and saying that they should be passing on what they've already learned. None of us as Christians are taught anything just so we'll know it ourselves. We are taught and we learn in order that we might be doers of that Word and sharers of that Word. Whose job is it to make disciples? It's yours if you're a believer. It's mine if I'm a believer. If you are a disciple of Christ, you are called to make disciples. The Christian faith is an incarnational and reproductive faith. Someone lives out, incarnates their faith, and that faith spreads to you. You live out your faith, you incarnate it, and then that faith spreads to others. Paul tells Timothy and us as students of Scripture in 2 Timothy 2.2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to tuck it away and have it for a rainy day who will be able to teach others also. The flame gets passed from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And if it doesn't, something's wrong. It's not Christianity anymore. These believers had reached a point in their Christian walk, the writer says, that they should have been entrusting what they had learned to faithful people who would be able to teach others also. But because they had been sluggish in their receiving and processing the truths that they had already heard, the proverbial buck had stopped with them. I said buck and some of you hunters are like... "Mm, (laughs) These people weren't teaching others what they had been taught. And to make matters even worse, the writer then says that not only are they not teaching what they know, he says you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God the lack of flow-through in these believers' lives had led to them not even really holding fast to the truths that they had been taught already. And again, note the wording there. You need some... Oh, it's not up there. You can't because you can't see it. You need someone to teach you again. Teach again. They had been taught. Now they need it taught again. They're not ignorant. They know. But they need taught Again. Parents, how many times have I gone over this? How many times have I said this? Why do I have to repeat myself over and over and over? That's the tone here. Why? Why? You need this taught again. But now let me ask you this. Anybody in here ever forgot something? I think I have, but I don't remember if I have forgot. But again, it's easy to forget things when they're not important to you or you're not regularly engaging them isn't it? Easy to forget also when you're not teaching what you've learned. And these readers had, like we said earlier, just shelved what they had received. So now they need to relearn those same things. So that's what the writer is doing. He's pointing out what they know but they need to know again. He had wanted to press on into different things, more advanced things but he has reservations about that. Now he will press into some of these things later in the book. Excuse me. I think (coughs) <coughs> That's going to sound good on the recording. Bless man. Um, he will press on to some of these things later in the book that he's saying is hard to understand. But he pauses here to call them to attention and to action. Out of their dullness and out of their inactivity. And he says that what he needs to reteach them is, quote, the basic principles of the oracles of God. And he'll touch more specifically on what those things are. Again, specifically in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, we'll go over in a minute. But the point here is that they can't progress upward in their faith building because the foundation has fallen into disrepair. And what is that foundation? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 18 to 21, for... In the Lord, the foundation is that revelation of God, the Word of God that we saw as living and active back in four twelve. What the prophets and apostles taught about and what Jesus embodied. Paul says it this way in First Corinthians three ten and eleven. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation, right? These are the basic principles of the oracles of God. And they had forgotten the most essential things and now they need re-reminded, re-taught. Time to go back to kindergarten. They had become children in their faith, which we see at the end of verse 12 and end of verse 13. You need milk not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Now again, don't receive that as, oh, he's calling them children. He is calling them children. And it's not bad or wrong. It's appropriate. So the writer goes analogous to show what he's talking about. He compares their need for basic teachings to being like a baby who only takes in milk versus a more mature person who eats solid food now i'm no pediatrician but i do know that only little babies subsist on milk only that shows where this writer is in his estimation of his readers now again it's not an insult it's a statement he's not just calling them immature he's calling them little babies in their understanding babies start eating solid food at about six months old six months And he's saying, you're not even there yet. The writer is saying that their dullness of hearing has caused them to regress all the way back to infancy. Now, real quick, and this is not in the notes, real quick, he's not saying they need to be born again, again. He's not saying they've lost their salvation. He's saying they need to be taught the basics again. Milk only. Milk's not bad, it's just not sufficient for more grown-up things. If you're just taking in milk of any kind, goat, cow, I don't care. If you're only taking in milk, you're lacking basic necessary nutrients to have the energy to sit up even, much less walk, lift things, support yourself and such. Also if you're just having milk, I'm going to guess you're probably hungry a lot. Milk is not a long-sustaining food product. It's not solid, so it's easily broken down and processed. Solid food is for those who eat at least two or three times a day, maybe four or five, like me. But these folks need milk. They need milk, not solid food. Why? Well, for everyone who lives on milk is, oh, and watch this, unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. Anyone who just takes milk is what? Unskilled. Again, not ignorant, but unskilled. They don't know how to use what they have. So it gets wasted and they need it fed to them again. And what are they unskilled in? They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. They don't know what to do with the word of righteousness. They basically play in their food. And their foods milk can you see the immaturity can you see the need to grow up they see that there's forgiveness for their sins in the gospel but they don't know what to do about that my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed the cross and I bear it no more it's a great truth right what are you doing with it have you processed it are you using it for energy in your spiritual walk these folks didn't they play in their food and they need to grow up how do I offer what I know to other people and these people say I not know because they're unskilled they're not able to use it so they can't be entrusted with solid food why it would choke them. It would be wasted. It could actually hurt them and/or others if it was in, if they tried to use it because they didn't know what it was for. What about me? What about us? But there is a use for solid food, right? Yep, five fourteen. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good. From evil. Now that's a verse right there, bro. So the writer turns their and our attention to what is in store for them once they move on to solid food. But in contrast with the immature milk drinkers, solid food is for the mature. The Bible sense lexicon defines this word mature as, quote, being at an advanced stage of spiritual development, usually as a result of experience, teaching, and in most cases, time. Being at an advanced stage of spiritual development usually as a result of experience, teaching, and in most cases, time. That makes the writer of Hebrews' use of mature all that more lamentable. He says that his readers should be mature by now. They've had the time, but they're not mature. Mature people eat solid food, and he says they, quote, These mature people have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What is spiritual truth used for in the mature follower of Jesus? It's used to train their powers of discernment, constantly working on, constantly practicing what it means to distinguish good from evil. Now if there is a call to the Christian in our day and time, it is this. Can you distinguish good from evil? Because we are living in a day and time when the culture is calling good, evil, and evil good. How are you at discerning what is good and what is evil? Because that's what mature people do. Mature Christians are discerning and they can discern what is good and what is evil. Powers of discernment is one Greek word, and it's a 25-cent word. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Powers of discernment means the faculty... Now listen. The faculty of the mind for perceiving, understanding, and judging. Now please, please, please don't miss this. Listen to me. These mature believers use their mind trained by the truth of God's living and active word to perceive understand judge figure out what is good and what is evil that is maturity Amen. not some experience you had not some feeling you get on a consistent basis not the use of any spiritual gift that's not maturity maturity This is maturity. To discern, to figure out what is good and what is evil, listen, with your mind. And what are these powers of discernment trained by? Constant practice. Those two words are so vital in all of this. Constant means all the time, continuous. Practice means doing something. All the time, I'm doing the work of figuring out with my mind what is good and what is evil, not based on my own understanding, but based on the truth of God's revelation of Himself through His Word. Everything, all the time, gets put in the scales and weighed out to be either good or evil. And these recipients had gotten dull in their hearing. They had gotten slow. They had gotten inactive. And they weren't doing this. So no wonder they weren't mature. And I think it's a cyclical, circular thing. They weren't doing it so they're immature. They're immature so they're not doing it. They weren't in the habit of discerning, of distinguishing good from evil. They weren't engaging their spiritual muscles, so to speak, so they had atrophied. And so they were coasting. And coasting is drifting, and we don't coast or drift toward maturity. They and we coast and drift always into immaturity. Only constant practice, constant discernment and distinguishing carry us toward maturity. So then what? Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. Therefore, see that, right? Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go unto maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now be careful here. There's a lot to unpack if we're going to get the full gist of what's being said. So he's already said that he has to go back to basics to reteach them what they'd already learned. And he said that was like milk instead of solid food. And here he calls them on towards maturity by saying, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now it's essential that we understand that he's not calling on them to forget these things, that they're not important, just to move into more and different truths because these aren't important anymore. And there are people who would say, that's basic Christianity. You don't even need to worry about that. You need to level up. You need to have deeper truth. Well, that's like Gnosticism type stuff, right? There's special knowledge. You can forget the basic stuff. That's not what he's saying, okay? He's saying, go on towards maturity. Not forget these things, but know that they're there and build upon them towards maturity. the elementary doctrines never cease to be important that's why we say the creed every week that's why we have the table every week but it's important that we don't try to camp out once the foundation has been laid imagine you buy a partial of land you love the land you're going to build this you got blueprints for this wonderful house and they lay the foundation you say you know what we'll just stay here we'll just hang a hammock here and pitch a tent here we'll just stay on the foundation Anybody want to do that? There are better things. There are more glorious things. The foundation is there to build up on. And he lists six specific things that he would consider to be contained in this set of elementary doctrines of Christ one, repentance from dead works, two, faith toward God, three, instruction about washings, four, the laying on of hands, five, the resurrection of the dead, and six, eternal judgment. And now keep in mind that these are Jewish converts to Christianity. There are some Jewish concepts in here that we might not be, that we might not consider to be vital, foundational stuff. Something like washings, laying on of hands. We might look at that and say, "Well, that's not important. That's not like basic." It was for them. How many times did you see Jesus fussing with the Pharisees over what washing their hands? Right. So that was ingrained in their culture. And so I love. Uh, Kent Hughes says this in his commentary, quote, New Testament scholarship is in general agreement that the six facets of the elementary teachings about Christ listed in verses 1 and 2, listen, outline the primitive catechism used in Jewish churches to induct converts. Thus, Hughes says, we get an intimate glimpse of the basics, the foundation you would have been taught before being baptized and accepted into a Jewish church 2,000 years ago. So it's like you want to know what they taught new believers? Those six things. So some of this catechesis would have been to clarify what the difference was in Christian doctrine and the cultural Judaism that so many would have grown up with. That's where the washings and the laying on of hands stuff would make more sense to them than it does to us. And again, I'll say it's not that these six things aren't important or weren't important to them, but they're not enough. To help us press on toward maturity and distinguish good from evil. It would be like if we said, hey, forget the five solas. They're not important. There's deeper truth, and those aren't important anymore. Because that's not what he's saying. It's not what we say either. These things are important, but we need more. We need to build upon that. We need to press on. We need to mature. We need to grow up. You should have mastered these truths and then use those truths to move forward, to mature. The focus is not on these doctrines, but on making sure to use them to build upon. They are a foundation, and you don't need to lay multiple foundations. Houses have one foundation. That's all you need. Lay the foundation, then build upon it. And the call in our passage today is to build, meaning to press on toward maturity. And here's where you're going, okay, so I need to try harder to do better, right? I love this from Donald Guthrie. Quote. The second positive injunction here to go on toward maturity. Back here. Sorry. Yeah, to go on toward maturity. Sorry. Second positive injunction to go on toward maturity is expressed in the Greek, listen, rather unexpectedly, expectedly in a passive form. Process that a second. Passive means I'm not doing the work, I'm being acted upon. Let me start over. The second positive injunction, go on to maturity, is expressed in the Greek rather unexpectedly, unexpectedly in a passive form in the sense of let us be carried on to maturity or perfection or completeness. This form, this passive form, suggests an element of yieldedness to a nobler influence as if the maturing process is not a matter of our ingenuity. Spiritual maturity is not the kind which can be had for the asking, but, Guthrie says, requires higher powers than man's natural endowments. Nevertheless, this writer is deeply conscious of man's own responsibility as his subsequent statements in the chapter show, which we'll look at later. There are clearly factors, he finishes up by saying, in a man's spiritual experience which can effectively cut off growth, he cannot be carried on to maturity if he has no desire to be mature. Now that's loaded with implications. We have to have a desire to be mature. And in order to have that desire fulfilled, we have to recognize, I can't do it myself. I don't always want to do the right thing. But I want to want the right thing all the time. So God, I want to be mature and I don't know how to be. Teach me. I yield to you. That's the picture here. That quote is so insightful and so good. How do we press on toward maturity? By yieldedness to the truth and power of God's Spirit, using God's Word as the plumb line to distinguish good from evil and then choosing the good and forsaking the evil in the power of the Spirit. And yes, sure, good, sound doctrine is essential. But maturity is not just learning doctrinal truths and saying, I believe them to be right or true. No, we have to be Holy Spirit empowered to be doers of the word with an eye on who God is and what God is doing around us, looking for what is good according to His word and then trusting in Him to do in and through us what we cannot do ourselves. This is maturity. And we are called to go on to this maturity, eager and willing to know, go and do what the Lord commands and requires and empowers us to do. We want what He wants, and then we trust Him to bring it about in and through us. And if you think I'm reaching here, well, and this we will do if God permits. Now this affirms that statement earlier that maturity is a goal that we will be carried to as we yield. Jesus' words in John 15 was, Abide. We'll move on from the basics, the elementary doctrines, if God permits. We'll mature if God permits. And yes, we have a part to play. Yes, we have to know and obey God's commands. We have to desire it. But the same Spirit that saved us sanctifies us. And that's really good news. Salvation is God's work from eternity past into eternity future. And no, we are not puppets or automatons bouncing on strings tied to God's fingers. But His alone, God's alone, is the power and the grace to bring all this about in our lives. This whole passage is the writer calling on the reader to discern and train and practice and distinguish and to love our neighbor and on and on and on and on. But none of that is possible if we aren't maturing by trusting. Trust and obey. There's no other way. Right? But I cannot obey if I don't first trust. And this we will do if God permits. And listen to me. I can say with the writer, I'm sure, if we are If we belong to God, He will permit it. It is His purposes and His glory at stake. Listen to me. God has much more at stake in your sanctification than you do. Because He wants to show His glory in and through you much more than you want it done. And He has the power to do it, and you don't. So we yield to Him And grow in the grace and maturity that comes by His doing. Go back a few weeks. Be diligent to enter into that rest. Be afraid of missing that rest. And trust Him. Because we will do this. We will go on to maturity if God permits. So yeah, go on to that trusting Him to do what only He can do. So now we turn our attention to application. Hopefully we've observed and interpreted. Now we want to apply, again, by the help of the Holy Spirit in all of it. We'll be looking at... we're having a three-dimensional application today. Three Ds. Dole, digest, and Decree. Dull digest and decree. I like to never. Got that third one. That was a rough one. First application point is dull. They had become dull in their hearing. Have you? Have I? We've got to ask ourselves that question. Ourselves, myself. Be honest with yourself. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to beat you up. Do you kind of shrug your shoulders at the Bible? Do you have an appetite for the Bible? We had three major dinners over the last three days. Major, y'all. I made sure I didn't eat too much before them. Why? I would have ruined my appetite. I'm afraid we don't have much of an appetite for the things of God because we're stuffed with junk food. Amen. Overfed and undernourished. I don't know. It's not really that big a deal. Stretching in the bed on Sunday morning. Eh, it doesn't really matter if I go to church or not. And you're trying to guilt me into going to church? Nope, absolutely not. Do you notice these tendencies? If you're going to make a choice between a social media app and the Bible, why am I saying that? Because check yourself before you wreck yourself. Clean the junk out of your ears, y'all. Because you've become dull of hearing. I have become dull of hearing. So many voices, so many voices, so many things out there—podcasts and messages and vlogs and blogs and people talking all the time. Twenty-four hour news cycle, alerts on my watch, alerts, alerts on my phone, alerts on my computer, and blah 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 blah. And all the time, God's saying, "I'm here. I know I'll get there. I'll, I'll, yeah." But first, what's first? We've lost our appetite for true food. Jesus said, I have food that you don't know about. His food was to do the will of God. His ear was attuned to the Father. The Spirit spoke directly to Him. And it's better that I go away, Jesus said, because if I don't go away, I can't send the Comforter who will be in you. And you will have direct communication with, and he will remind you of what I said. And let me tell you what, you can't hear him if all of this is overwhelming. And it's a choice. What do you choose to listen to? Have you made yourself dull of hearing? And if you have, I'm not beating you up, I have too. Sometimes you gotta afflict the comfortable, comfort the afflicted. I'm afraid we're much more comfortable than we are afflicted. Don't use Q-tips, y'all. It just jams the stuff further in. Don't do that. Go to a doctor who uses cold water. That'll clean your ears out. I don't care. Don't matter. It's not a big deal. You find yourself saying or thinking those things about the things of God? Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Do you? But I have this against you, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. We've got to go back. He gets later to the church in Laodicea, Revelation 3, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So what? I counsel you, Jesus says, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Are you dull of hearing this morning? Then repent. And this we will do, if God permits. Right? It's not hopeless. You're not a lost cause. There are no such things as a lost cause in the kingdom of God. As long as it's called today, as long as it's now, there is an opportunity to repent. There's a chance to clean your ears out and focus your attention and your affection on the person, on the things of God. And He will reward that. He is. We'll see later in, in chapter 11, whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who don't really care too much. He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You've got to believe that God is and that He's a rewarder. In order to repent turn around be zealous and repent and it does all come down to repentance doesn't it Luther said Martin Luther sorry so that the whole life of the Christian is one of repentance repentance is not a one-time decision or act well I repented when I got saved you better keep on repenting it is to be our posture we have to keep coming back to make decisions to even desire to listen to hear and then to do the things we hear And we have to go on toward maturity, which is what we look at next. Dull, now digest. Why am I saying digest? Milk, solid food. What are you digesting right now, if anything at all? Or are you just absolutely spiritually starved to death? If our hearing is dialed in, it leads to our moving on to maturity. It increases our ability to digest, to discern, and to teach. Our eagerness to hear determines what we're taking in and thus helps us know where we stand in light of all this today. Are we unskilled or are we discerning? Are we on milk or are we on solid food? Are we being taught or are we teaching? Are we in the elementary teaching or are we moving on to maturity? And I love the milk-solid-food analogy, talking about digesting, because what is digestion? Digestion is when you take in what you take in, break it down for what purpose? To use for energy. And when you don't use it for energy, what happens? It don't go away. We store it up in funny places. So we're supposed to digest. We're supposed to take in what we need for energy to do. Not just lazily digest in order for your body to use the energy to do things. We are to go on to maturity. We are to train our powers of discernment. We are to constantly practice distinguishing good from evil based on what God has said and and on what God commands. I very rarely do this, but one of the application passages is the passage we read today. About this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... Are you digesting solid food in order to be able to constantly train your powers of discernment to constantly practice distinguishing good from evil? Because if you're not, you are going to get waylaid out there. And that's not for your best. That's not for your good. That's not for the good of other people or the glory of God. So what? Paul, Romans 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And where's the focus? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by ecstatic experiences. Be transformed by getting the warm fuzzies. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The battle is in your mind. What's going on in your mind? Is your mind being transformed by the Word of God? Because the Word of God determines what's good and evil. As your mind is renewed according to the Word, you will be transformed. And I, people say, well, you shouldn't put so much emphasis on the mind. The Bible does. Amen. So why shouldn't I? Don Carson. People do not drift toward holiness. You're like, oh, you said that earlier. I did. It's, I'm influenced, okay? Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in In the Lord. So you've got to digest in order to have energy to press on. Now, that phrase, grace driven effort, brings us to our third point. Dull, digest, and finally decree. And this we will do if we try hard enough. Now, I'm belaboring a point. This we will do if we get all of our ducks in a row, if we have our priorities straight. This we will do if we read our Bibles enough or pray enough or witness to enough people. Those things aren't bad. But you are not going to press on to maturity only by those things. Getting your things straightened out and having your quiet time. Nothing wrong with a quiet time. encourage it. I fail at it a lot but if you think that your maturity is marked by how often you're having your quiet time you're wrong you're unbiblical we will go on to maturity listen praise God if God permits what's God's will in all this our sanctification and this has been as much as I love to sing my sin all the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more that's wonderful That's, that's incredibly good news I love it. You know what's just as good news? He who began a good work in you will perfect it at the day of Christ Jesus. You can't outsend the grace of God, Christian. You can't mess this thing up so bad that He can't recover it and redeem it. You can't go so far into the far country that He's not going to welcome you back and kill the fattened calf when you return. It is God's work to sanctify us. And we yield to His direction, His instruction. Listen, the glorious truth, not just our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins, but my sanctification is God's doing. That's wonderful news. Trust and obey. He wants it more than you do. Run to Him for it. Okay, God, I'll do better this week. No, you won't. God, I'm going to trust you this week. Aha! Watch this. Oh, my goodness. Paul, Romans 6. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. (laughs) For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Watch this. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. How hard do you work to produce fruit? You don't. Fruit is the overflow of the life through the vine that blossoms, abuds and blossoms, and then turns into fruit by the overflow of life. For consider your calling, brothers, Paul tells the Corinthians, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now watch this. And because of Him, because of God... You are in Christ Jesus. Now watch. Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Thank you. Righteousness and what? Sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Jesus Christ is your sanctification in the same way that He is your justification, in the same way that He will be your glorification. Trust and obey. What do you do with this truth? It's not enough to know it. Digest it. Use it for your life. God, I believe you are going to sanctify me completely because Jesus Christ is my sanctification. And I can rest in that. Cease striving and know that I am God. Let me do what you can't do. All I want for you to do, the Scripture says, is to desire it. And then rest and watch me do it. We're trying so hard to sanctify ourselves. When what we're called to is to rest. this one, last one. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. Beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who did all that? God did all that. God's going to do all that. God is doing all of that. So I don't got to do nothing. That's not what we said at all today. Hopefully that's not what you heard. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I trust Him. I rest in Him. And I want the things that He has to do in me and through me for His glory, for my good, for the good of other people. So that my boast would be in the Lord. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord for our justification for our glorification, and yes, for our sanctification as well. It has been decreed by God that you will be sanctified. Rest in that and watch what God does. Clean out your ears, your dull hearing digest good solid food and rest in the truth that God has decreed your sanctification, you will be conformed to the image of Christ. Be transformed then by the renewal of your mind, knowing these truths so that you become doers of the word and not hearers only. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would help us to know what you have said to know what you have done, what you are going to do, and God, yes, what you are doing right now. Oh, Father, we are at the end of a weekend or maybe the beginning of a new week where we have eaten a lot. Thanksgiving, we're thankful for food and feasts, and those those are good things. But God, may we not be satiated when it comes to our desire for your truth, your goodness, your glory, the things of the good doctrines that you have for us. Help us to build strong buildings upon the foundation that you have laid through the finished work of Christ. And may we clean out our ears and go on toward maturity. And this we will do, if God permits. We believe that. Now help us to trust and then obey that truth. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? I couldn't not use this one. Now, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.